Let's get into today's message. It's about injustice, surviving life. This is an unjust world. I don't know if you, you, you've recognized that, but I'm sure that you have. And in studying this, I was really confronted by a couple things. What, what is injustice to begin with? And I thought it was really fascinating where we get our word for injustice. It comes from Latin, and basically it means not right. Yeah, it's just not right. And there are a lot of things in this world that are just not right. Okay? And there's all kinds of sources for injustice that, that we suffer. Um, just a couple of them that I was thinking about this week. There's, there's social injustice. And there's, there's passive ways of social injustice takes place, which like economics and race and things like this, where people are just born. Think about the, the children that we support in India. Right? The Dalit children. And these are, they're, they are facing a form of passive social injustice. There's nobody out there actively going to, to put them down. But all opportunities are robbed from them. They are not given basic dignity. Right? This, is, this is a horrible thing. It's just not right. Or there's active social injustice, like being bullied or facing favoritism. And, and like a family, I don't know if you've been in a family where favoritism there, that's injustice and it hurts. Or being slandered. Or, or like the pastors down there in, in Texas, in Houston, that are being pers- as injustice. It's not right. But there are other forms. There, we have uh, political injustice. Uh, that's when, when, when a group of people come together and use their combined power to make things not right. <laughs> uh, we see that in, in all kinds of stuff, like the people getting denied rights, people being marginalized. It's systematic corruption where, where things are built into the system that, that are unfair or ungood for other people and it lifts the wrong people up. We, we call this corruption. That's a form of political injustice. How about this? There's systematic corruption, uh, the abuse of the legal system. Doesn't it drive you nuts when you see the guilty go free? Doesn't it also drive you crazy when... When somebody has been victimized, right, and, and there's just no recourse for them, no help. But it also is really bad if you've ever met somebody who has been convicted of a crime and they didn't do it. I mean, you want to drive a kid crazy? You say, you, you accuse them of doing something they know they didn't do. You ever been a kid that ever happened? And you just, you're like, no, not fair, not fair. You know, our world is filled with injustice. I, even this, this very week, school shootings. It's not right. We have ISIS moving across the Middle East, slaughtering people. It's not right. But even in our own hometown, there is injustice. And we deal with it and we live with it. What do we do in the midst of injustice? This is a storm of life that hits every one of us. And why does it hit? I pondered this. And I sat there in my big comfy chair in my office and I stroked my chin for quite some time and I thought about it. I said, why? Why is injustice so prevalent? And you know what I kept coming back to? I kept going back to Genesis 3. You see, God made us and he made us perfect and things were good. And Adam and Eve knew right from wrong. They knew to obey God. They knew that was good. And they knew to disobey God was bad. They knew right from wrong. But they agreed with God as to what was right and what was wrong. And there was a sense of justice in the garden because everyone agreed with God. But they ate 
from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says their eyes were open. They were like God, knowing right from wrong. It wasn't that they knew what right and wrong was. It was that all of a sudden they had their own ability to choose what they thought would be right and what they thought would be wrong. And you know what they thought would be right? Eating from the tree. They thought that would be a great idea. And so we, ever since that time, as people, we have... We've had this ability to create our own standard of morality, our own sense of what we think is right. You know what? If you go to ISIS, you go to the Middle East, and you talk to the, the fighters that are there doing horrible things, they're going to tell you they're on the moral right. They believe they're fighting for God. And they think that we're the great Satan. <laughs> you, you talk to that kid who did that horrible school shooting, and I bet someplace in his mind what he thought he was doing was justified. You understand that in our world, the reason that we have this death and, and the reason that we have this conflict and the reason that there's so many things that aren't right is because we as people don't know what right is. We just don't know. And it doesn't matter how strongly we believe something is right, like the people that are fighting in the Middle East. It doesn't make it right. And as long as we continue as a people to walk according to our own moral compasses, there will be injustice. And we will justify it to ourselves as we hurt the people around us. Injustice is the most prevalent of all of the storms we've talked about. <laughs> right? We've talked about all kinds of things. Well, death, I guess, is pretty, pretty prevalent. We'll talk about that next week. Everybody faces that too. But injustice is there because it's in us. It is the storm that rages in our very souls. How do we overcome this? When we live in a world with however many billions of people, all of us with the ability and the propensity to create injustice, including myself, what do we do? Well, we're going to look at the Bible just like we have all the way through this. There was a guy in Scripture who faced injustice. He faced all these kinds of injustice we talked about. He faced social injustice, political injustice, judicial injustice. I mean, there's all kinds of things. This guy faced it. And he walked through it, and God glorified him. And then we get to have that wonderful memory verse because of how he handled it. What did Joseph do? How did he face injustice? Well, let's talk about his life. Joseph was a child of one of the patriarchs. Okay? Israel. And he get to be one of the 12 kids. All right? So this is a pretty big deal. Now, there was a messed up family. There's lots of different wives. They had lots of stepbrothers, half-brothers, things like this that were in it. Uh, there was favoritism that was going on. In fact, he was the favorite, so he got to be the benefit of injustice at one point in his life. And he was growing up as the youngest and as the most favored, and his dad gets him this really cool coat that has lots of colors. And back then, that was stylish. Right? So he puts it on, he parades it around, and basically everywhere he wears it, he's telling his brothers, Dad likes me more than you. And then God's given him dreams where he's saying, someday all your family's going to bow down to you. And who doesn't want to have that kind of dream? So, right? So he tells his parents and his brothers. He's like, guess what? Someday you're going to bow to me as he's wearing this nice colored jacket. And it doesn't dear kind thoughts, does it? No. So one day his dad's like, go find your brothers because they've got my flocks. And they're like, okay. I'll go find them. And I wish I, I, I should have put the map up. They're, they're like down there in the middle of, of Israel now. And the brothers were like way up near the top of it. It's like, it's like saying to me, you know, hey, Aaron, go find Larry. He's got some animals and he's down there near Bennett <laughs> somewhere. 
okay, I'm going to walk and find him in my cool jacket. And that's what he does. And I walk all the way down there, and his brothers see him coming from a long way off. How do they know it was him? The jacket. They're like, we're going to kill that kid. And they're like, yeah, we're really going to kill him. And so there's this pit, and so they, they take him, and they strip off that jacket, and they throw him mostly naked into the pit to die. And then they say, what are we going to do to tell Dad? We're going to cover this up. We're going to kill an animal, put the blood on it, say we found him ripped up by an animal because if you walk from here to Bennett, back then, you could die. And so they're going to say, that's what happened. It was a great plan. And then one of the brothers is like, oh, no, no, I can't, we can't kill him because God might get mad at us. So let's sell him as a slave. That's much better. So they pull him out of the pit. They sell him into slavery. Did he deserve this? No, it wasn't right. But he goes as a slave, and he goes all the way down into Egypt as a slave. Here he goes from a prominent wealthy family, who had servants, by the way, were very wealthy, to being a slave. And he goes, gets bought by this guy named Potiphar, and he's serving this, this man faithfully. And he's doing a great job at it. In a foreign land, as a slave, no rights. And Potiphar's wife eventually takes notice of him and tries to rape him. And he runs out of the room saying, I'm not going to do this to God. I'm not going to do this to my master. He gets out of there and she uses his garment as proof to her master that, that he tried to rape her. And so she twists it and he gets locked up into prison. Now, he could have been executed for this. But he didn't do anything. In fact, he got locked up in prison for doing the right thing. And he stays there in prison, and instead of being bitter and mean and, and just nasty about this because he's in prison he didn't deserve to be, what does he do? He trusts God. He acts nobly and righteously, and all of a sudden, guess what? The prison guards are like, you're a pretty decent dude. We're going to have you help us take care of the prison. And that's what he does. And he moves his way up, and, and, and so the, the guards are trusting him, and the, and the prisoners are trusting him. And one day, uh, there were some people that had uh, a dream, some dreams, and it was troubling them. You had a baker which, and a cupbearer, which I think is the most silly job of all of, all of the Bible's jobs, a cupbearer. Like, my job is to hold a cup for the king. That's what I do. So, but that's what he did. So they had this dream, and how a cupbearer could wind up in prison. You have to wonder, what did that dude do? Like, picked a really bad vintage. That's, that's what he did. So here he is. He's in prison, and these guys have a dream, and then he says, all right, well, let's listen to your dreams, and he listens to them, and then he's, he interprets them. God gives him the ability to do this, and he's like, all right, baker, too bad for you. You're going to die, but cupbearer, you're going to get out of there. And when you get out in three days, remember me. Well, everything happens as it was said. The, the baker gets killed, and the cupbearer is free, and the cupbearer forgets. And a long time passes. And, and what does Joseph do? Does he sit there and brood and get mean? No, he continues on acting righteously, which is phenomenal. I mean, this guy's amazing. Well, eventually, the king has a dream, the pharaoh. And it's a crazy, whacked-out dream. But he has it uh, several times in different ways, and it's bothering him, and he's... And then the cupbearer is close to him, and the king tells him what was happening, and the cupbearer is like, oh, I remember there was this guy in jail that could tell what dreams meant. And he brings out Joseph, and the king tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph gives credit to God and praise to God. He says, what does this mean? And God gives him the answer, and he tells him, and the Pharaoh's like, you're the dude that's going to help us with this, because the dream said 
that there are going to be seven years of, of a lot of, of, of good economics and there going to be seven years of famine. And so you better store up now because things are going to get real bad. So Joseph said, that's the name, that's what the dream means. And if I were you, Pharaoh, I'd pick out somebody that was really good at knowing how to, to prepare for this. And Pharaoh says, that guy is you. And Joseph at that moment becomes vice Pharaoh. Well, the famine eventually hits. Joseph does a great job. His brothers come in. They don't recognize Joseph at all because they expected him to be a slave. And he had all that uh, Egyptian makeup on, right? That kind of hides you a little bit, right? And his brothers come in after many, many years, and he recognizes them, and he plays some games against them, you know, I think, not to really get back at them, but, you know, kind of test their heart. And eventually, uh, they, they, they come back, and they're all afraid, because he's vice Pharaoh, and they, he makes them think that they're in trouble, but they're not. And he reveals himself to them, and he says that wonderful thing that we've memorized today, like what you meant for evil, God meant for good, for the saving of many lives. And then he embraces his brothers, and there's forgiveness. And you know what? Our faith was saved, because if Israel and the 12 tribes, including Judah, died of famine up in Israel, there wouldn't have been much of a lineage. And here's this man, through faithfulness and through much adversity and a whole lot of injustice, comes out the other side and sees the justice and the goodness of God. That, that's just a phenomenon. And the thing is, true story. This guy actually happened. This, it's just amazing. Well, what do we learn about Joseph as to how do we survive injustice when it comes to our life? Well, there's three things that I found. The first one is to keep the faith. Right? And I, and I put on there Genesis 38. Okay? And, and that has to do with Potiphar. If you go into the chapters, Genesis 38 is when he's, he gets sold into slavery and is with Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. And the thing that we see is the first thing is Joseph trusted God in the, before he even was put into slavery, right? He knew who God was. He trusted him. He, so he had faith. Before injustice came knocking on his door, Joseph knew the God of Israel because that was his dad. And he heard the stories and he trusted it. And even though he got sold into slavery down in Egypt, he didn't give up on that God and, and, and start worshiping the Egypt gods. He didn't say, God's abandoned me. Bad things happen. I'm a slave. My brothers hate me. You know, they took everything from me. He didn't swallow in that. He knew who God was and he said, you know what? God is still good and I still am going to worship him. And so in the midst of adversity, Joseph is found being faithful. I'll tell you, that is hard to do. Have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? And, and those accusations are there and they sting and they give you a black eye you didn't deserve. And sometimes you're like, why, God? Why are you letting this happen? And I imagine a few of those thoughts probably popped into Joseph's mind, but he didn't dwell there. And that's the amazing thing. Is he kept the faith that he said, you know what, God, I'm going to be faithful. So much so that as we read that story of him and, and Potiphar's wife, when, when Potiphar's wife tries to get him, tries to trap him, this is what Joseph says. He's like, I can't do this. How could I sin against God this way? That's an amazing thing. It, it means the God who put you into slavery, who allowed you to be here unjustly, you don't want to sin against him? And Joseph's like, no. How could I sin against God? 
Or could I do this against my master? He lived with an integrity and the righteousness. He kept the faith in the midst, right in the midst of the injustice. When things were totally not right, he trusted a God. He said, that God is right. And I'm going to trust him. He kept the faith. For us in our own lives, when injustice comes knocking at our door, when people wrong us, the temptation is going to be this. God isn't on his throne because something not right happened. And if God is, is all-powerful and he's all-knowing, right, and if he lets this happen, then perhaps he's not all-powerful, all-knowing. Either that or he's not all-loving because how could he let this bad thing happen to me? That's our thought process. And we all get there. But that's such short-sighted thinking. What we think is that God can't use what other people try to use as evil for good. But you know what? We look at the cross, and we are reminded that God can use anything for good. The greatest wickedness of all of humanity turns out to be the very thing that saves us. God can use anything. So in the midst of when, when, when injustice happens... Instead of turning from God, our eyes like Joseph need to turn squarely to God and say, I'm going to follow even more now because you were right. God is right. Second thing that we find is, is that you live righteously. Genesis 41, we find Joseph here. This is several chapters later. And this is where he's finally meeting Pharaoh. Right? But let's talk about what happened to him right before he gets up to that point. He's in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And then he helps out people who don't help him out. And he gets to, to Pharaoh. And the reason that he gets to Pharaoh is because he did this very thing, is he lived righteously. There was a reason that Joseph was, went from a slave to the head of, of Potiphar's house. And that was this. He didn't try to rip his master off. He didn't give up on, his, on God's ethic for him. He lived righteously. He did right by his master, even though it was unjust that he had a master. He lived righteously in the midst of his circumstances. And when Potiphar's wife came after him, guess what? He lived righteously. He told the truth. He did what was good. And it locked him, it got him in prison. Because sometimes doing the right thing gets us into trouble. But he didn't care. He kept doing the right thing. And when he was in prison, instead of being all bitter and mean and nasty to the guards and saying, I don't deserve to be here and blah, 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 what does he do? He lives righteously. He's so righteous that the guards begin to trust him and actually give him authority in the prison. That's pretty amazing. He lives righteously so that when there is trouble in the kingdom, the Pharaoh will be willing to listen to a prisoner. It was his righteousness that gave him his voice. Here's the thing. People in this world are far more interested to how we handle adversity than how we handle blessing. Aren't they? You see somebody that's living well and they've got good character and things like that, but everything seems right in their life, and you're like, well, of course they live well. Everything's stacked for them. But you see somebody that's handling a difficult circumstance, that's going through something very hard, and they're, and they're choosing to live well and to trust God, and to follow him, and to do what's right, even at their own personal cost, doesn't our esteem for those people rise a bunch? That's what Pharaoh does. That's what Joseph does. And it leads to him to be able to overcome injustice. And that's something that we need to as well. So when injustice comes knocking at our door, 
We can't use it as an excuse to become bitter or hateful or mean or nasty. When injustice comes, it's time that we need to step up and to follow God's rightness all the more. Third thing I think is amazing is extend forgiveness. Genesis 50, remember 50-20 was our verse today. He gets to meet his brothers. And this is like the good part. See, if your brothers sold you into slavery, and then you find yourself as king of the world, and they're coming to you begging for help, you could do a lot of damage. Right? I mean, that's what you, most people dream about. When somebody wrongs us, don't you kind of fantasize sometimes about how you get back with them, at them if you could? You think about, oh, if they only, <laughs> if I could just get away with it. And he could have gotten away with it. But he redeemed, and that's the big thing, is he redeemed the injustice because he forgave. You know, we, we read in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the nature of God, is to redeem injustice, not always through just retribution, but He begins by offering forgiveness. This isn't a great thing about our God. And those that follow God in His moral compass recognize that forgiveness is the power to overcome injustice. Some say, well, that just makes me more of a victim. No, it frees you from being the victim. So many people in our lives, and I see so many that I counsel with and talk with, that are still living in bondage to the wrongs that they were faced in their youth because they have not forgiveness in their lives. And Joseph looks to his brothers and he says, Brothers, yeah, what you did was wrong, but God is bigger than you. And what you meant for evil, God meant for good. How good? For what's now being done, I'll tell you how good, for the saving of many lives. There comes a point in our life where we have to say to ourselves, I'm not going to allow this wrong to, to define me. And the Lord who forgave me gives me the power to forgive those who wronged me. And it's not just people. You look at Romans where Paul says, pray for your leaders and those in authority. You know, those were the very people that had killed some of his best buddies. And he says, pray for them. Benefit them. Why? Because when they do well, we're going to do okay too. <laughs> right? But don't hold it against them. It says that, that even Jesus said, love your enemies. Well, enemies are people that you naturally don't love. That's why you're enemies. Right? That, that's why they're there. If you love them, why not be so much your enemy? And that's the point. Because we find out in Scripture that it says this, that our enemy isn't a person. And it's not people. It never has been. But it's the wrong spirits and the dark forces that Satan and what he's doing. It's the corruption and the poison in our lives that allow us that our moral compasses get thrown totally wildly off. That brings injustice. That's the enemy. If you're going to fight something, fight that. In order to do that, we have to forgive. The most powerful, the most scary, the most difficult, and yet the most freeing act a Christian can do is to forgive and to love. And that is not easy. And it doesn't just happen overnight. There was a person in my life, 
that was uh, hurt me and my family deeply and for a long period of time. And every time I tried to forgive that person, they would just do something else that was worse than before. And so they were, you know, it's just like you're trying to forgive, but they keep pouring in things to forgive. And you're like, ah, stop it. And so finally I had to separate myself from the person and put a wall there because they just couldn't stop offending. I mean, they just, they didn't have that ability yet. And it made it really hard for me to forgive. And so I had to say, I need some separation here so I can forgive you. <laughs> as weird as that is. And then it took years. I mean, I found myself just despising, loathing that person. Thinking in my head ways that I would wish they, their demise. Right? I would. They're wicked thoughts. And, I, and because there was my thoughts, I thought we were okay. But then eventually I was like, you know what? I've got to forgive this person. And I did. And I said, you know what? I'm going to forgive. And, and so I said, I'll forgive. And then I would get mad at that person. And I would forgive them multiple times a day. Every time they came to thought. And then sometimes I would see somebody that looked like them. And it would make me all mad again. And I'd be like, oh, I forgive them. Right? And then eventually there would go days that would pass. And I wouldn't even think about that person anymore because I was forgiving them. But when I did, I would still be angry. And so I'd have to choose to forgive. But then after several months, and those months turned into years, and I forgave at every opportunity that I could, there came a point that I could see this person and it didn't cause angst in me. It didn't cause turmoil. I wasn't in the prison of what am I going to do if I see them. I had overcome the injustice. I had forgave the offender, which is an amazing thing. And it wasn't an easy process, but it was a powerful process. And through that, God has used the lessons that I learned through that injustice to help so many people. In fact, what that person meant for wickedness, God has used in my life to help many, many, many people for, for a greater good. You see, injustice can be overcome, but we have to choose to submit our sense of right to God's sense of right. We have to choose to override the poison of Eden. We have to submit ourselves to God and say, God, what you say goes in my life. And if you say to forgive and to love my enemies, even though that feels very wrong, I recognize that it is the one thing that is truly, truly right. Well, we look in Joseph's life and we say, how do we overcome injustice? Because it will hit. <laughs> Lots. We see, he keeps the faith. So keep the faith. Hold to Jesus. Don't let your faith be contingent upon your circumstances. Trust God enough that he, to know that he's with you and that he can trust you enough to go through difficult things so he can bring about his better purposes. Keep the faith. God is God. He loves you. He died on the cross and rose again for you. So trust him. Keep it. Hold to him. Say, his ways are my way. Live righteously. Choose to say, I'm not just going to stand with God but I'm going to align my life the best I can with his moral compass. What God says goes for me, as hard as that is, and when I fail and I fall, I'm going to admit it, because it says if you sin, confess your sins, he's faithful and just, he'll forgive your sins, and then he'll cleanse you of your unrighteousness. Let him realign you, but live righteously, especially in the midst of hardship, especially then. That's, that's when God is helping you glow for him. That's when you begin to shine. So live righteously at all times. And then, overcome it. Don't be the victim of injustice, right? 
Be the victor of injustice. Use what was meant for wickedness for good. Forgive. We do these things. We don't need to fear injustice. In fact, God had told us to expect it. Jesus said, in this world, this is what you can expect. But he says, take heart, I've overcome this world. Right? He's going to use these things. And so when we find ugly things in our lives, from school shootings to terrorist groups doing horrible things, to our own country trying to harass pastors or whatever it is in our lives, we don't fear them. We know that God is working through them because we're praying and we're allowing him to. And he's going to overcome them and bring about better good. That's power. That's power. Well, as I bring this message to a close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and ask, what do I do with this? Aaron, what are some next steps? Well, I want you to take out your, your green cards. They're here, the, your connection card. And on the back, there's some ideas that I have for you to help you. The first one is to memorize Genesis 50:20. Why? Because it's the same God who's working in and through you that was working through Joseph. Isn't that cool? And, and the same God who helped him overcome and redeem what was meant for wickedness is the same God who's working in your life. And when we're in the midst of that trial, when things get difficult, how powerful would it be if the word of God was inscribed on your heart in such a way that when you felt... There is no hope. God must be gone. I'm abandoned, like Joseph must have felt. You could remember the end of the story. Because when we are suffering injustice, it's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning of God doing something powerful and great. This passage can remind you of that. It's the end of the story. So memorize that. I would encourage you. Maybe it's to read Joseph's whole story, Genesis 37, 39 through 50. And to say, to look at this guy's life. This is a real dude. It really happened. To read his story and to say, you know what, how did he overcome these things? And to find it and, and to, to, to find that encouragement in his life, to let the word of God change you. How about this? Maybe it's to ask God for his help. Maybe you are in the midst of injustice right now. You are facing something that is just gnawing at you, that's hurting you, that's wounding you. You are, you are being treated unfairly, unjust. Things that happen in your life are just not right. Guess what? Ask God. And it says in Scripture that oftentimes we as Christians suffer all kinds of things. We don't need to simply because we didn't ask God. So ask Him. Maybe that's what you commit to do this week and say, God, I'm going to allow you to be sovereign in this situation. So help me. Maybe something to do is to forgive a person who has deeply wounded you. That's a hard one. And if you check that one off, know that I'm going to be extra praying for you, not just this week, but for a good long period of time. Because forgiveness doesn't just happen like this. If it does, it's not true forgiveness. The only forgiveness that happened like that was Jesus on the cross, because he's God. But for us, it's a process. So if, but if there's somebody, if you find that you are still being the victim, still suffering the wounds that were inflicted years ago, it's time to forgive. It's time to overcome. And it's time to allow God to do mighty things through that. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe there's something else. Well, if there is, write it down. I'll be praying for you this week. Also, I want you to know that um, if you have never made a relationship or commitment to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, here's the thing. God wants to forgive you too. You sit here and you've committed injustices. You've done things that aren't right. And it says in Scripture, the penalty of that is death. There, there is justice, but God wants to forgive you. 
before he offers retribution, God always will offer us forgiveness. But we have to accept it. And how do we do that? Well, it's by trusting that Jesus loves that God. Jesus is God. He died on the cross for me because he loves me. He's forgiven my sin. And by his grace, I'm saved. I can have a relationship with him that he actually forgave me. Trust that forgiveness. You need to make that decision. Obviously, there's a check mark here, but it's more than a check mark. Come talk to me. You know, but let me know so we can follow up because following Jesus is not just about making a confession. It's about living a life, a powerful life, a, a, a victorious life in this world, a purposeful life. And I could talk to you about what does it mean to do that. Um, also, is that you know that uh, next week, if you've been our, our visitor or are coming to our church for a while and you're interested about what we teach or what we're, what we're about, uh, next week um, is going to be our, our next welcome class, although class is a little too formal, says the guy in the tie. Uh, it's, if you're interested about what our church is about, it's, it's a little luncheon. We get to meet each other. I get to hear about you, what you're doing, and, and you can hear about our church and what we're up to. If you're interested in that, let us know because lunch will be provided, and I need to know that you're coming, so uh, make sure you check that. If you have a prayer request, please write that down right now because in a minute we're going to be taking our offering, and I'd like you to put this in the offering basket along with your tithes and your offerings. Um, so it would be greatly appreciated that. Okay, well, let's pray for the offering as we bring this time of worship to a close. Heavenly Father, you're a good and a powerful and a loving and a just God. And I love that about you, that what you say is right truly is right. Now, you're the only one that can, that can correctly discern right from wrong. This is why we call you righteous, as you are. And Father, we admit that as much as we think we're righteous, our self-righteousness just leads to injustice. And we hurt people, lots of people, including ourselves. And we have brought all kinds of pain into this world and, and, and in the name of doing what we think is best. And God, we, we admit that we need your help. So we ask that you would help us. God, I pray that you would stand with us, Lord, and that uh, in the midst of this world, that you would be close to us, that your love would, would definitely be noticeable to us as a church. And God, that you would give us your forgiveness and set us free from the ways that we have wronged you and wronged others. But Father, we pray as you do that, that you transform our hearts as a church so that we would stand with you, even when you seem distant, that we would stand with you to trust you and to know that you are right and that you are powerful and that you are good that we can trust your ways and we can trust what you're doing in the midst of our lives. Help us stand with you. Father, help us to, to, to keep that faith, Lord. And, 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 and as we do, help us to live righteously. Help us to follow your ways and to know what you do so we can, we can work with you as you bring about great things through horrible wrongs. And Father, I pray as a church, help us to be a people of forgiveness. Not a people of bitterness, not a people that hold grudges, not a people that are angry all the time. But Father, help us to be a church, a people that love you and that love others, that trust you enough to forgive those that wrong us. And Father, I pray as you help us to forgive that you would use that to overcome the injustice, Father, and to bring about great righteousness in this church and this community, Father, that you would be glorified. And Lord, we also pray for the tithes and the offerings that are about to be made. Lord, I thank you for the sacrifice of our people, but Lord, we recognize that really all those things come from you anyways. So thank you. Thank you for taking care of us, meeting our needs time and time again. And Father, take these gifts, Father, please, and to use them to build your church 
to build your kingdom in this community, Father, so that everyone who lives here can be reached with the good news that you love them, that Christ died for them and rose again, and they can have hope so they can too. But we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.